Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, EncounterChurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. Well, this morning I want to kick off a brand new series, um, a series that I've really wanted to preach for quite a while and just kind of waiting for God's timing on this. Uh, We're going to kick off a series, in fact, we're going to stay in it for about 13 weeks. Now, for us, that's a lengthy series. If you've been part of Encounter Church for any period of time at all, normally our series are four, five, six weeks long, maybe seven weeks long. But this particular one's going to be 13 weeks long. Why? Because I do not want to miss out on what God's Word has to say to us in this season of uncertainty and fear and struggle and disunity and even strife that we're facing in our culture. You see, I want to look at every detail of this particular book of the Bible. We're going to spend the time processing through what Paul and Timothy have to say to the church in Philippi. We're going to do a study on the book of Philippians that we're simply calling No Matter What. Look at your neighbor saying, no matter what. That's what we're going to discover. We're going to figure out what's Paul talking about in this great book. Why, why have we named it No Matter What? You're going to catch on in just a little bit. You see, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi with a a slightly different tone than he writes in his other books. Normally, there's some issue or some problem in the church that he's got to address, he's got to work through to help them get to where they need to be. And yes, there are a couple things that he touches on in this particular book, but the overall theme is this. Jesus is our purpose for living and our source of joy and hope. Can anybody grab a hold of that today? Jesus is our purpose for living and our source of joy and hope. I don't care what news source you turn on or what social media source you turn on, you will not find joy and hope. You're going to find anything but joy and hope that this world offers. The world is going to try to strike fear in you. Maybe you're like me. You wake up first thing in the morning and you're like, oh, scratchy throat. I got COVID. (laughs) Right? I was sitting in my house yesterday and, and I was, I was sitting there and I had, you know, just gotten ready and just been doing some work around the house and I was sweating. I'm like, why is it hot in here? Angie, do I have a fever? And she's like, no. So like I went and sat down. I was like, oh, I was just hot. You know, society will do everything it can to, to strike fear in our hearts. But what I've come to discover is that's not what Jesus is about. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Jesus is our source of hope. He's our purpose for living. He's the giver of great joy. That no matter what we face in life, we must, listen carefully, no matter what we face in life, and I'm telling you, We're coming to a point in time, whether we want to admit it or not, we can stick our head in the sand and pretend that it's not there. We we can kind of cover our eyes and say, oh, you can't see me, I'm not here. 
But we're coming to a point in time when as a Christian, as the church, as the followers of Christ, we're going to face some opposition if you haven't already begun to catch on to that. But the Bible tells us that no matter what, no matter what we face, no matter what we experience, no matter what comes our way, we must press on. We must walk in hope. We must rejoice always. We must let love overflow in our lives. But through it all, we must live a life as a true citizen of heaven, representing Jesus with every step, no matter what, no matter what opposition we come across. I've titled this morning's message, A Personal Choice, because that's how Paul addresses the church of Philippi in this great book. Over and over, he uses phrases or statements like this every time. Full, fully expect, you must do everything, don't be, whatever happens, always. In other words, there's a choice to be made on how you will live your life. There, there's a choice to be made of what you will do when struggle comes your way. Philippians chapter 1, verse 11 says it this way. May you always, look at your neighbor and say always. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. What is that? What is the fruit of your salvation? Well, the Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit will produce a new fruit inside of you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of us need to tap into those nine today. Some of us need to say, God, pour inside of me a bit more of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. God, I need some self-control because I'm heading to Walmart. <laughs> right? The only place where you're trying to social distance so they close all the doors except one. I don't get it, but any whatever, whatever. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. What are you allowing to be produced inside of you? See, that's the question. As we go about our daily lives, we have a choice every single day of what we are going to allow to be produced inside of us. I can allow fear to be produced inside of me. I can let strife be produced inside of me. I can let struggle or opposition be produced inside of me. Or I can choose, as Paul recommends here, to always be filled with the fruits of my salvation, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, to allow all that Jesus is to truly consume me to the point, listen carefully, 
that I can't contain it anymore. Some of us, some of us are happy just to be filled on Sunday. Oh, Lord, fill me up today. But when Monday comes around, we're empty. And Paul says, man, you're not going to make it in this life with a one-day dose. But he says, always, may you always, that means Monday when you have staff meeting, always, that means Tuesday when your boss calls you in the office, always, that means Wednesday when you're tired, you're halfway through the week, you're in that midweek slump, always, always, be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. When we walk in a manner that represents Him, when we allow who He is to be displayed in what we do, it brings glory and honor to God. In other words, no matter what, let your life in Christ be the predominant characteristic that you display each and every day. Some of us need to let that sink in. Because I've seen your Facebook post. I saw one the other day, and I'm not going to call out who it is in case you're here. But they said, they're about to see my, and they had some descriptive form, I'm not sure what that form was, of Christian break out. And I thought, that's not the form of Christian that the Bible talks about. You see, we've got to allow the very nature of Jesus. Does that mean that we're always going to be perfect? No. No, you're going to have moments, you're going to have times when, when the flesh jumps out. But what do we do in those moments? Lord, would you fill me once again? Man, I, I'm sorry for the way that I responded. That was not, I, I'm not representing Christ well with that. God, help me to allow your character to be produced inside of me. No matter what, let your life in Christ be the predominant characteristic that you display each and every day. You can't turn it on and turn it off. Well, Sunday I'll put on my God face, but Monday you better watch out. That's not how this works. God is not looking for a one-night stand, a weekend romance. Right? He's looking for a daily relationship. You can't turn it on and off based on how you're feeling or what you're experiencing in that moment. May we take the challenge of Paul to always choose to walk in a manner that's pleasing to God, not relying on our own strength, not relying on our own power, but relying on the strength and the ability that comes from God and God alone. But I hear what you're saying in your mind right now. Pastor, you don't know what I go through every day. It's hard. I get that. That's a great point. Except for the fact that when Paul wrote this, 
He had a clear understanding of what it meant to move beyond your surrounding and choose godliness no matter what. Well, I don't know if what Paul was going through is what as bad as what I'm going through. Well, let me tell you, you can compare. We all face tough times, I get that, but Paul knew firsthand. The background of his story is this. For the last four years, he's been in miserable circumstances. He spent two years in prison in Caesarea on a trumped-up charge. He was put on a ship to go to Rome to appear before Nero, who wasn't the nicest guy when it came to talking to Christians. On the way there, he was shipwrecked, stranded on an island, bitten by a poisonous snake, waits there all winter long, then he continues in Rome, spends another two years in prison awaiting execution, and during that two-year period in Rome, he's chained to a guard 24 hours a day with absolutely no privacy, and every four hours, he gets a brand new guard. That sounds like fun, right? Yet, in spite of all of these situations, in spite of what he was facing, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. You see, Paul made a choice no matter what. No matter what I face in life, no matter how difficult the environment is around me, no matter what I experience in this personal human life that I go through, this daily adventure, no matter what, Paul says, I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Can I say that you have the same choice that Paul had? What will you do when struggle comes your way? How will you respond? What was Paul's secret? How does he stay positive while in the midst of this prison environment? How does he triumph over the troubles and the struggles of life? How does he take delight in the difficulties that he's going through or stay happy or positive or joyful in spite of the fact that everything around him seems to be falling apart? He came to the point of realizing There's a personal choice. A personal choice must be made. That no matter what, if we claim to be a follower of Christ, listen carefully, if we claim to be a follower of Christ, we must walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand that we have ups and downs in life. I understand that we face difficulties. So through this study in the book of Philippians, we're going to process through what God's Word has to say to each and every one of us, the believer. By the way, Paul was writing to the church, to the Christian. He wasn't talking to the outsider, those that were lost. He was talking to those that, that were hanging out, that claimed to be a follower of Christ. He's saying you have a personal choice. You can choose to move through life with a terrible, horrific, bad attitude if you desire. But if you choose that path, understand that you are not walking the path that God has chosen for you. But we want to be equal opportunity people around here, so I want to give you your choice. So let me give you six steps of how to have a bad attitude. 
Six steps. Number one, allow your attitude to be based on circumstances. If you want to just have a terrible attitude, allow your attitude to be based upon the circumstances around you. Things don't go your way. Oh man, grab a hold of that terrible attitude. Life is treating you bad. Grab a hold of that bad attitude. Allow it to be based upon how everything moves along in your life. Number two, adapt when and then thinking. In other words, when I get that new car, when that stimulus check comes in, when I get married, when I pay off my bills, when my kids go to school, when my kids graduate high school, when when I get over this physical ailment, whatever it happens to be, then I'll be happy. Can I just tell you, you're never going to get there. I mean, oftentimes I make statements like this, well, when the schedule slows down a little bit, I'm going to try to, but I've realized something. Out of 22 years of ministry, that moment has never appeared. Because there's always something else to step in line. There's always something else to distract me. There's always something else to fall in my lap. If you want to have a terrible attitude, a bad attitude, adapt when and then thinking. Number three, wallow in the pits of worry. If you want to have a bad attitude, just worry all the time. What if this happens? What if that happens? This is what I call worst-case scenarioitis. You spend all your time wrapped up in your issue, and it paralyzes you in fear. Don't ever, if you want to have a bad attitude, don't even think about applying scriptures like 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, give all your worries and cares to God. Why? For he cares for you. If you want to have a bad attitude, don't even read this scripture. Don't hold on to it at all. And just move along in your terrible attitude. Number four, consistently put your needs above the needs of others. Adapt and it's all about me mentality. The world revolves around me. It focuses in on me. Be consumed with yourself. Put your needs above that of your spouse. If you want to have a bad attitude, put your needs above that of your kids, above that of your coworkers, above that of your friends, above everyone else. Just focus on you because you're the most important person ever. You deserve a break today. Some of you got that, some of you are too young. Be sure when you don't get your way that you just throw a fit. I mean, just have a little hissy fit in that moment. That will help you have a terrible, terrible attitude. Number five, don't even, don't ever get involved in church. If you want to have a bad attitude, don't begin to get involved in church. Just kind of hide out on the sidelines, hide out in your little corner, kind of do the poinsettia and lily thing, you know, come on Christmas and Easter. Because if you go to church, you may just become spiritually enriched. You may experience a new joy. You may form relationships with people that encourage you and and help you. You may find those that want to walk side by side with you in life. So if you want to have a bad attitude, don't ever get involved in church. And finally, number six, hopefully this is helping you this morning. 
If you want to have a bad attitude, don't even think about giving to the church. Mm -mm. Just hoard it all for yourself. Become the most greedy person ever. Don't give beyond yourself. Become self-absorbed in every area. Do not allow God's commandment to give be part of your life. See, that's how you can have a terrible attitude. Just practice these things and you are all set. You are well on your way to a terrible, bad attitude. But again, that's not the life that Paul desires for us. And, and I understand, I'm being a little facetious here. I'm being a little just kind of sarcastic with all this, but I hope that you get the point. Because over and over, Paul suggests that we make the choice to give thanks. That we make the choice to overflow in love, to represent Jesus, to choose joy. The list goes on and on. Paul is writing, once again, to the Christian, to the believer, to, to those that have a relationship with him. In fact, in chapter 2, he goes as far as to say this, work hard, look at your neighbor and say, work hard. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard. No matter what, make the choice. Do the hard work. Will it always be easy? No. That's why it's hard work. We've got to do the hard work. People are going to be difficult. Trials are going to appear. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have problems. You will have trials. Jesus also said, people will hate you because of me. You're going to have to work hard. Extra efforts. No matter what. Choose to walk in a way, choose to walk in a pattern, choose to represent Jesus with all that you say and all that you do. Make the choice. Through it all, no matter what, we must clothe ourselves in the very nature of God. To work hard, to let our new life in Christ now, let me remind you, the moment you give yourself to Jesus, that old man is gone, and now the new man is alive. Some of you are so far past that initial moment of salvation that you forgot what it was like then. I had a pastor friend one time that was up preaching, he was talking about a topic fairly similar to this. He said, some of you have been saved so long, you need to go out and backslide so you know what it's like to get saved. I'm not recommending that tonight or today. I'm not recommending that, but I'm just saying you need to remember the price that Jesus Christ paid for you on the cross of Calvary. You need to remember what he brought you out of. You need to remember the new life that he's given to you. You need to begin to work hard to show the results of your salvation. Let this new life in Christ be evident to the world around you. Now, right off the bat, in the beginning of the book of Philippians, and by the way, if you haven't read the book of Philippians, sit down and read it. It's easy read, but man, it's going to challenge your heart. Right off the bat, Paul begins to share with the church of Philippi. He says, guys, I I've been praying for you. How many of you enjoy when someone says they're praying for you? 
Like five of you, praise God. The rest of you, you could do either way, right? No, we, we love when people pray for us. We love when people say, man, I've been praying for you. That is so encouraging. But what did Paul pray? Let me share you a couple things that he didn't pray. Paul did not pray that they would be happy. That's weird. Why wouldn't he pray that the church of Philippi would be happy? I mean, we all want to be happy. We all want things to work out well. We all want moments of joy in our life. Why wouldn't he pray that they would be happy? Well, we'll get to that. Secondly, Paul did not pray that they'd be healthy. Huh. He didn't say, Lord, I pray right now that you'll protect the church of Philippi from COVID. God, I pray that you'll keep them healthy. Lord, you'll protect them from all sickness. No, he didn't pray that at all. Thirdly, Paul did not pray that God would take away all their problems. He didn't say, God, I pray right now that you'll make the, the path easy in front of them. God, that you will smoothen out, remove the bumps in the road, remove the struggles that they face. Give them just a clear path to you. May everything be easy for the church of Philippi. No, he didn't pray that. Those are prayers that we want prayed over us. How should I pray? Well, pray that things will just work out perfect. Pray that, that my health will just be good. Pray that I'll just be happy. Pray. These, are, these are requests that we make. But Paul understood there was a better prayer that needed to be prayed. And when Paul prays, he prays that the people would experience, are you ready for this? A total, complete life change. Wow! He says, I pray that your entire life will be shaken up. He prays a God-sized prayer. That's what I want in my life. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. A God-sized prayer, a complete life change. Not a band-aid religion, but a life change relationship. A daily choice, no matter what to choose to walk boldly the life that he's called us to live. Let me read to you exactly what he prayed. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure, blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in you, your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. I, I want to take a moment this morning, I want to break apart three things that I see in this section of Scripture that I believe that, that Paul is praying for the church of Philippi, but if we would begin to apply it to our lives, we would see that radical life change. We would be able to move beyond our circumstance into the realm of where Jesus wants us to be. Prayer number one is this, that the love of God will overflow in them. Paul prayed that the love of God would overflow in them. Now, is there a difference between the love of man and the love of God? Yes. See, the love of man is, is temporary. The, the love of man has so many levels. Can I just tell you, my love for my wife is my, a different kind of love than that of my love for McRibs. 
And that's a good thing. <laughs> Our love has so many different levels. But the Bible says that the love of God is unconditional. That, that love truly defines who he is. And Paul says, my prayer for the church of Philippi, and I want to pass that on to you today, my prayer for you today is that the love of God, not a man-temporary situational love, but a God, a non-confined love, an unconditional love, will radiate in you, will overflow in you. In order for them to experience all that God wants for them, in order for them to increase in joy, Paul knows that the best choice that they can make is to learn to love. To love each other at a greater capacity. Now remember, the great commandment, what is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. I mean, that's who we are as a church. That's part of our mission. That's how we start our mission. Love, love God, love people. But here's the reality. Paul is trying to get us to understand that the Christian that practices love will experience greater joy. Now, let me give you a little math equation here to help you understand this a little greater. Christ-like characteristics plus Practicing love equals joy. Christ-like characteristics plus practicing love. Why, why do I have those separate there? Because love is one of those characteristics. Why do I need to have them separate? Because we can have those things and not practice them. You see, I'm a trumpet player. I've been playing trumpet since I was in sixth grade. I don't really play it. I would say I, I'm not really a practicing trumpet player. I, I would play for the high school show choirs, but until I played for them starting five years ago, I hadn't touched it for years and years and years. Let me just tell you, the first time I had a rehearsal, my chops remembered, oh yeah, you haven't touched this thing for years and years and years. I had the knowledge, I had the ability, I knew how to read the music, I knew what keys to press down, I knew what formation to make, but I wasn't practicing that ability. Some of us, as believers, we have who God is inside of us. We have the, the characteristic inside of us, but we're not practicing that characteristic. Are you trekking with me this morning? So a Christ-like characteristic plus practicing love, in other words, engaging and utilizing and putting into motion that very characteristic, produces joy. Now, how can I say that? How did I come up with this equation? Because the moment that we begin to truly display this Christ-like love, we find ourselves making a shift from self to God. And when we make the shift from self to God, suddenly our point of focus shifts as well. We move from self-focused, to God-led. We truly begin to allow the Holy Spirit to lead our lives. 
It's 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 that says this, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show it, show the truth by our actions. In other words, let's engage this truth. Let's engage this knowledge. Let's, let's engage what we've learned into action. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. The question I have for you is this. Does God's love overflow in your life? Does God's love overflow in your life? That, that's the first prayer that Paul prayed for the church of Philippi. That's the first prayer that I have for you, that God's love would begin to overflow. Not that you're filled with, but filled to overflowing. There's a difference, right? Those of you that don't know there's a difference have not had toddlers. A toddler will go fill up the cup. They'll take the pitcher. They'll fill it up. And they won't stop here, but they'll keep it going and keep it going and keep it going till it bubbles over the top and they're walking. And what's it doing? It's spilling everywhere. Why? Because they can't contain the amount that's in the cup. Paul's prayer, my prayer for you today, is that you will overflow in the love of God. Number two, that they would grow in knowledge and understanding. They would grow in knowledge and understanding. Remember, knowledge alone will never do you any good. Why? Because we leak. We need a continual infilling. We need a continual overflowing of who God is. Knowledge alone will never do us any good. We must begin to put that knowledge and understanding into action. We gain this knowledge by diving in to God's word, spending time dissecting his word, reading his word. If you're not spending time in the word of God, let me challenge you, do so. Well, pastor, I'm not a great reader. Then download the YouVersion app or some other app and let it read it to you. Just get God's word in your heart. That's how you're going to grow in knowledge. You spend time with one another, with other believers, sharpening one another, encouraging one another. We just started a brand new ministry last week called E One to One. It's our discipleship program. Those of you that have signed up over the next couple of weeks will be getting more information to you. We're letting all of those sign-ins come up. And so far, I think 48 of you have said, I want to be a mentor. I want to mentor somebody else. That's incredible. Absolutely phenomenal. So we'll be getting in contact with you soon. But if you want to be a part of that ministry, um, stop by the church office, stop at the connect point on the way out. We'll give you more information on that. But we need one another to grow in knowledge and understanding. Because if we grow in knowledge and understanding, there's a cause and effect results. If we grow in that knowledge, if we grow in that understanding, then we'll have an under, a greater understanding of what really matters. Greater perspective. What really matters? Does it really matter that everything goes perfect in my life? No. Does it really matter that, that life is easy? That it flows smooth? Well, really, not really. Does it really matter that everything goes my way? These are all great things. These are things that we want, but in the long Paul, in the big scheme of things, these don't matter. What really matters? That God is glorified. I got one yeah out of that. That's what really matters, folks. That Jesus is exalted. 
we grow in knowledge and understanding. Suddenly there's a, we begin to live a life that resembles Jesus. We put into practice who he is. How is this achievable? Well, Paul gives us a pretty clear definition in chapter 4, and we're just going to touch it today because in a few weeks we're going to dissect it, okay? Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, this is how we can come to that place of truly grabbing a hold of this knowledge and understanding. Paul says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. And I love how this is the end of it all. I mean, this is like a big old chunk to grab a hold of. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Do you know what I saw out of this? Some of us in the house today, some of us watching online today, we need to change what we fixed our minds on. We've allowed society, social media, the news, mouthy people, trouble stirrers, gossips, We've allowed them all to taint the life that God has designed for us. Paul says, begin to put into practice what you've learned. Focus on what is excellent. Focus on what is worthy of praise. The next time something grabs your attention, I want you to pause and go, is that excellent? Is that worthy of praise? Or is that a waste of my time? Now, if it's a person, do not look at them and go, you're a waste of my time. (laughs) That's not producing the very character of God, okay? But process those things. Am I focusing in on what is excellent, on what is worthy of praise? In other words, do I let all that God is consume all that I am no matter what? The third prayer that Paul prayed. That their lives would always bring glory to God. That's a lofty goal. We would want to say, well, I pray that majority of the time you'd represent Jesus well. But Paul doesn't stop with majority of the time or or, or sometimes. Paul says, I pray that your lives will always, or maybe we could put in the phrase, no matter what. That no matter what we face in life, no matter what we come up against, that our lives would represent Christ would bring glory to God. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says this, whatever happens, you know what that means? No matter what, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. No matter what they write about you on social media, no matter what they stir at the workplace, 
No matter what. No matter how difficult the moment is, no matter what. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And here's what I've discovered. We've got to let our life be a pathway toward God, not an excuse to run away. Is your life, is the life that you're living, is it, is it a roadway? Is it a pathway toward God? Is it drawing people to Him or is it pushing them away? What are you doing with your life? Paul learned and he was demonstrating what it meant to be full of joy despite the circumstances around you. His attitude was basically this, it makes no difference what happens to me just as long as Jesus is glorified and the gospel is shared. Can we make that statement? Oh, we can't hear. It's easy to say, oh yeah, when we're sitting in here. But what happens when we're out there? We've got that person in our face threatening our life, threatening our family. No matter what, let your life be a pathway toward God, not an excuse to run. Paul learned to lean in on the strength that could truly see him through. Was it his head knowledge? Paul was a smart guy, very educated. But that wasn't it. Philippians 4.13, he says this, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He understood that no matter what, no matter what he faced, no matter what he went through, no matter what opposition came his way, he could persevere, not because he was Paul, but because he was a child of the Most High God. The phrase, who gives me strength, literally means who empowers me. Oh, come on, some of you need to grab a hold of that. That's exciting today. I can do all things through Christ who empowers me. He doesn't just give me strength. He empowers me. He consumes me with all that he is. God's ability is pouring in and wants to pour into your life. It's not our ability. It's not our hard work. But it comes from his strength, his enabling power. It's time to begin to make the personal choice. Now notice, back to the beginning here, it's a personal choice. I can't make it for you. I can't make it for you. Or you, or you, or you, or you, or you. You can't make it for your kids or your spouse. You must choose that whatever happens, that you'll conduct your life in such a way that brings glory and honor 
to God. I want to pray these three things for you today. One, that God's love will overflow. Secondly, that you will take the steps to gain more knowledge and understanding. And number three, that you'll begin to allow your life to radiate all that God is. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to ask a couple of questions, and I'm going to pray those prayers over you today. You're in the house today, and you say, Pastor, you're talking a lot about Jesus, and I don't have him in my life. I haven't asked him to forgive me. But today, I want to do that. The good news for you is this. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness or all wrong that we've ever done. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I need Jesus to forgive me. Would you raise your hand? Would you, would you let me pray with you today? Come on, is that you? Jesus loves you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die on the cross that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, Jesus loved you so much that he willfully gave himself on the cross so you could be set free from all this wrong. Is that you? Would you raise your hand? All right. I'm going to ask at this point, would you all stand with me across the house? And I want to pray this prayer over you. God, I pray right now for every person in this house, for every person that's watching online right now. Lord, that we will begin to allow your love not just to fill us, but to overflow in us. Lord, that every step that we take we slosh out you. Lord, that the world around us can't help but see you in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, in all that we say and all that we do. Lord, let us be a pathway toward you. Lord, not an excuse for someone to run away. Lord, I pray right now that you'll help us to choose today no matter what no matter what Lord that we're going to gain greater knowledge and understanding God we're going to look for ways we're going to jump into your word we're going to partner with other believers we're going to be accountable to one another God we're going to gain knowledge and understanding but Lord don't allow it just to be knowledge allow us to begin to implement that and put that into work so that we begin to bring glory to you Lord that we radiate you everywhere we go. Lord, would you speak to your people right now? Lord, help us to draw a line in the sand and determine no matter what, no matter what we face, no matter what we encounter, no matter what we come in contact with, Lord, we're going to allow you to be first place. We love you. We thank you, Lord, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.